2: had a river that ran through my town. It was approximately two blocks from where I lived, and I would walk down there all the time. Often I would be looking for my friends and had no idea where they were. Then I would head down to the river, just look along the shoreline, and there they'd be, playing around. I also met some new friends there. One friend I met while walking my dog along the river. At one point, the river went past this big cement-type factory where they had big piles of sand, and if you kept going, it really went into the marshes and fields. I decided to walk around the big sand piles, and when I got over there, which is an area I didn't go very often, I saw a kid about my age who was building something. He had gathered all this junk wood and pipes and all the stuff that you could find just lying around down by the river, and he was kind of constructing what looked like a very small fort. He had a hammer and nails and rope, and he was really working hard on it. So I went over and started talking to him. As it turns out, Robert was making a spaceship. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world, of course, and asked him if I could hang out with him and help him out. So I did. I would carry the wood over, he would assemble it, and every day for the next few weeks, I would go down there and help Robert work on his spaceship. I'm not sure what style spaceship, I think he might have been going for an X-Wing type of thing, but it really just looked like a pile of wood that you could sit in. Still, to me, it was magical and I couldn't wait for it to be finished, and I was really amazed at the amount of scrap and pieces that Robert was able to haul over there when I wasn't around. So we worked on this thing, and after a couple of weeks, it was, I guess, finished, although Robert wanted to paint it. I said I would be very happy to help, and I went down there the next day, and he didn't show up. Then the day after that, he didn't show up again. I kind of knew where he lived, wasn't sure of the exact house, but I kind of had an idea within maybe six. So I went to that area and started walking up and down trying to figure out which house was his, and eventually started knocking on doors. Turns out, with no warning, Robert and his family had moved. It was a bummer because I had a lot in common with this kid. Plus, the ship was unfinished. Well, I thought to myself, well, this is a good opportunity for me to finish this thing, and maybe I could bring my other friends, and they could help. Unfortunately, two of my best friends went away for the summer, and neither of them were there at that point. But I had some alternative friends, and I decided to ask them if they wanted to help. They agreed, and I found some old white paint in my basement. It was very difficult to work with, and we went down there and started playing around painting things and being goofy as kids do. you got to really be careful on who you choose to be friends with. And I've learned that lesson continuously throughout my life. Because the next day, I called on my friends and both of them weren't available. So I went down to work on this thing by myself. And when I got there, the ship was gone. I couldn't understand what happened. Then I looked in the river and I could see the ship. It turns out that the kids that I had decided to paint this with Later told an older brother about it, who went down there, and then he and his friends tossed it in the river. It wasn't small, so it was kind of impressive that they managed to pick it up, and it was a testament to Robert that this thing held together, and it would hold together for months, maybe even close to years, in the river. Because when the river level went down, I could see it in the mudflats sticking out, and it was a constant reminder of this unfinished project and this friendship with Robert. I haven't been to the river now in over a year. And the area where you could actually play is now a bunch of homes. But I wonder if the river mud gobbled up Robert's spaceship. Is it preserved under there? Will the mud keep it like some sort of preserved bog person for future generations to find? I hope that's the case. Because I always look back on the summer spent in the field talking about spaceships and Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica. And it makes me smile. And the idea that... The thing we built, well, Robert built and I helped, is still there, out there, even under a couple of feet of mud, is reassuring. On today's show, we're going to talk about a movie that had some spaceships in it, The Last Starfighter. We'll talk about the cast, the people behind it, production, how well the film did, and of course, where you can find The Last Starfighter today. Vic Sage is here with another Why Should I Know This Person, Doug is back with a brand new also ran and rob flack o'hara is here with a new talking tech we have an info packed episode ahead of us so without further ado let's start the show The Last Starfighter is a science fiction film from 1984 directed by Nick Castle. Nick Castle's name sounds familiar. He's an American screenwriter, film director, probably best known for playing Michael Myers in the original Halloween. He was buddy of John Carpenter's and co-wrote Escape from New York with Carpenter. His other films include Dennis the Menace, Major Payne, and Connor's War. For those who are into computer animation, who haven't seen the film, Last Starfighter has some wonderful early computer-generated imagery, CGI, which is used primarily in the battle scenes. If you're a fan of the style of Tron, you'll see a lot of that in Starfighter. I've seen the movie dozens of times, and it wasn't until the 1990s that I started to actually think about how different the animation style was from realism. Now I watch, and of course it looks like animation. I was not sure how I was able to disconnect that for so many years, but I enjoy it on its own merits, because it's great animation. The actual production design for the many spaceships in the film were done by artist Ron Cobb, who would also work on Star Wars and Alien, so some good bona fides there. Now we have a quick word from our sponsor, your local gardener, Nature's Partner. They might not be able to help you with death blossoms, but they can help you with just about everything else.
3: To become the perfect gardener, check with nature's partner.
2: Got to appreciate your local gardener. Now, even though a lot of the film was computer-generated, there are lots of great non-computer-generated effects, including some stuff with the Android beta and, of course, the star car that features prominently into the film, which, if you've seen it, you will probably know is based on a DeLorean and it even has the stainless steel construction and gull-wing doors that you come to love from Back to the Future. In fact, the car actually drove and was later reused in Back to the Future Part 2 as a car parked on the street in one of the 2015 sets. So, get out your copies of Back to the Future 2. Keep your eyes open. Before I talk about the plot of the film, let's talk a little bit about the cast so you're familiar with the characters and people playing them. Lance Guest played Alex Rogan as well as his android doppelganger, Veda, Guest was in Halloween 2 with Jamie Lee Curtis, but is probably best known as Alex Rogan in The Last Starfighter. Robert Preston, American actor, probably best known for his role as Harold Hill in the 1957 musical The Music Man and its later film adaptation. Preston actually said that the character he played, Centauri, in the film, was based on his Harold Hill character in The Music Man. So when you watch the film again, you can maybe look for some of that influence. little known fact about Preston, he was a U.S. Army Air Force intelligence officer during World War II. So, great actor and a hero. Dan O'Herlihy played Grig. more Halloween connections. He played Connell Cochran in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. In 1954, he was nominated for Best Actor Academy Award for his work in Robinson Crusoe, a great version of that story. Catherine Mary Stewart played Maggie Gordon, former soap opera actress. Two feature films she's best known for are The Last Starfighter, where she played Maggie, and Night of the Comet, where she played Regina Belmont. Norman Snow played Zur, great character actor, appeared in lots of television, including Star Trek The Next Generation, The Man from Atlantis, and Quantum Leap. K.E. Cuter played Endurian, probably best known for some of his TV work, great actor, worked on Green Acres, Petticoat Junction, did a lot of voice work later in his career. Worked on Curse of Monkey Island and Grim Fandango. And like most great actors, appeared on Star Trek, but he appeared on both Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Barbara Boson played Jane Rogan, probably best known as Faye Farillo in Hill Street Blues. Chris Herbert played Lewis Rogan. This is probably his biggest movie, but he did make some appearances in Family Ties and the 80s version of The Twilight Zone. Rounding out the cast, you had Dan Mason as Lord Krill, Peter Nelson as Jack Blake, Meg Wiley as Granny Gordon, Vernon Washington as Otis, and, of course, always a standout, you had Will Wheaton in the film, and his parts were actually cut, but you could still see him in two scenes, running around in the trailer park, and he's standing behind Lewis in the final scene of the film. Now with a little bit more detail about the talent behind this movie is Vic Sage with another Why Should I Know This Person.
3: Hi friends, Vic Sage here with Why Should I Know This Person, and this week we are taking a look at Norman Snow. Norman Snow was born on March 29, 1950, in Little Rock, Arkansas. Snow landed his first of many TV roles in 1976 in the TV movie, The Time of Your Life. A year later, he secured an appearance in 1977's Man from Atlantis, and in 1980 appeared on an episode of the long-running series, The Edge of Night. How long did it run? There were 7,420 episodes over 28 years. In 1980, Snow was cast in his first theatrical feature, Rollover. He appeared alongside the likes of Chris Christopherson and Jane Fonda in that feature. Snow made an appearance in 1982's Voyagers as Mark Anthony, before landing a spot on As the World Turns in 1983. In 1984, Snow got the part he is possibly the most known for, that of the villainous Zur in The Last Starfighter. Snow returned to TV soap operas as Trevor in The Guiding Light in 1985 before appearing as FBI agent Springfield in Michael Mann's Manhunter. Mark has stayed mostly in TV series since with appearances in Spencer for Hire, Crime Story, Quantum Leap, L.A. Law, Star Trek The Next Generation, the original Beverly Hills 90210, Profiler, and Days of Our Lives. Snow returned to cinema screens in 2001 in the film Moonbeams and is said to be next seen in Nick Castle's sequel to The Last Starfighter called Starfighter. This has been Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person, signing off until next time.
2: Thanks, Vic. Alex Rogan is a teenager, lives in a trailer park with his mom and little brother, does handyman work, wants to go on to bigger things. He's also really good at playing a game called Starfighter. Now what he doesn't know is that Starfighter is actually a test to train young people on how to pilot real ships called Gunstars. This game wasn't even supposed to be delivered to this trailer park. It was some weird mistake. It was supposed to go to Las Vegas, but... This great player turns out to be there and Centauri, played by Robert Preston, shows up to recruit him to go off to a planet called Rylos and get full training as a Gunstar starfighter. Once he gets there, he is a bit freaked out, but gets all the backstory about what's going on and how he's going to be a universal defender. This he does not like and he wants to go home. Meanwhile, so that people wouldn't be disturbed by his missing, they have put a Android replacement for Alex back in the trailer park. Beta Alex. The Beta Alex stuff is kind of jokey as he tries to deal with being Alex, not being from there and having to learn all these things. That stuff really tested well when audiences saw this film, and they went back and added more Beta Alex stuff. And it adds a comical element to the movie that is lacking in a lot of science fiction films and gives the film a kind of interesting flavor. So he still decides he's going to stay, but Centauri insists that he can call him back and gives them this thing to call him. He says, I'm not going to need to call you back, but he discovers Beta is there and calls Centauri to pick him up. This assassin who's come tries to kill Alex, hits Centauri. Centauri apparently dies. Alex goes into space. To deal with this menace, Alex, of course, gets into this experimental gunstar, does what he does best, then he uses this special MacGuffin, this thing called Death Blossom, which, if everything could have Death Blossom, why doesn't everything have Death Blossom? Because Death Blossom seems to destroy everything. You hit Death Blossom, and it just starts firing everywhere, blossoming out doom to all who would attack you. Alex is the savior of Rylos. It turns out that Centauri is okay, miraculously, and at the end, when he goes back to his home planet, the girl he likes, Maggie, decides to join him in space. They both go up into the sky, where they will protect us forever. When this happens, at the very end, Lewis, his little brother, you can see him going up to the game, firing it up, because he is going to be the next Starfighter, like all of us should be, and all of us would have been, had they actually released A Last Starfighter video game. Now with a little bit more about the wonderful technology that was behind The Last Starfighter is Rob Flack O'Hara with a brand new Talking Tech.
1: Talking Tech.
0: Greetings, Starfighters. I mean, retro listeners. This is Rob O'Hara with another installment of Talking Tech, In today's segment, I'll be talking about Last Starfighter video games. After breaking the world's record on the Starfighter arcade game, teenager Alex Rogan receives a visit from an alien named Centauri, who whisks Alex away to the planet Rilo, where he has been recruited to defend the frontier from Zur and the Kodan Armada. In the closing credits of the movie, Atari advertised that they also would be releasing an actual Starfighter arcade game, and although my friends and I knew that this would most likely not result in a visit from aliens or a trip to outer space, it was still pretty exciting news. One reason we were excited was because of the game's advanced graphics. Compared to other arcade games released in 1984, including Bite, Karate Champ, and Kung Fu Master, the last Starfighter's graphics were literally light years ahead of the competition. The reason for that, of course, was due to Hollywood magic. All the movie's CGI, including the arcade game sequences, were pre-rendered on a Cray mainframe. Back when the movie was released in 1984, the Cray-XMP was considered to be, quote, the most powerful supercomputer in the world, unquote. Compared to modern computers, it had about the same processing power as a Pentium III computer with an 800 MHz processor. Unfortunately for gamers, the last Starfighter film was released right in the middle of what we now refer to as the Great Video Game Crash. Mass-producing Starfighter cabinets would have been prohibitively expensive. On top of the movie licensing rights Atari would have had to pay, the system itself would have required more processing power than any other arcade game of its time. Due to rising production costs combined with a sinking video game market, no Starfighter cabinets were ever created. Atari's home versions of the game were either abandoned or converted into different games. An early version of The Last Starfighter for the Atari 2600 went on to become Solaris. The Last Starfighter game for Atari 8-bit computers and the Atari 5200 was eventually rebranded as Star Raiders 2. There is a Last Starfighter game for the original NES, but in reality, it is simply a conversion of a Commodore 64 game known as Euridium with slightly modified graphics. None of these games look or play anything like the arcade game from the movie. More than 20 years after Alex Rogan's adventure began, our own space dreams were answered by a group of programmers known as Rogue Synapse. In 2007, these programmers released a Last Starfighter game for home computers that looks, sounds, and plays exactly like the arcade version from the movie. What's even more exciting is that the game is freeware, meaning you can download and play it on your home computer so you don't even need your own Cray mainframe supercomputer to fight Zur and the Kodan Armada. This has been Rob O'Hara with another installment of Talking Tech. Talking Tech.
2: Thanks, Rob. The Last Starfighter has a great soundtrack, which was put together by Craig Saffin really worth tracking down. Mr. Sappin's work, in addition to The Last Starfighter, include Major Pain, Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, and the TV series Cheers, among many, many, many other things. If you're trying to track down all of the music from the film, there are actually two soundtracks to pick up. One that had originally been released by Southern Cross, and the other which was released in 1995 by Intrada. The Intrata version omits songs credited to Safin and instead includes complete versions of several of the music cues. The Last Starfighter did pretty well. It cost $15 million to make and would earn $28 million. Reviews themselves were mixed at the time, although now the film is pretty well regarded, probably because of the nostalgia for video games and computer animation. Now, with a little bit more about what was going on in the theaters back when The Last Starfighter came out, is Doug with a brand new Also Ran.
1: Hey, I'm Doug, and this is Also Ran. What Also Ran in theaters alongside The Last Starfighter in 1984 Who did Alex Rogan and Beta have to share the silver screen with? Well, lots and lots of other great movies. 1984 was one of the best years of cinema. Some of the most iconic films of my childhood, and probably yours as well, were released that year. Films such as Ghostbusters, Gremlins, Karate Kid, Police Academy, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Beverly Hills Cop, Footloose, Romancing the Stone, Red Dawn, and The Terminator. And that's not even close to being all. It really was a landmark year. If we look just at the month of July, though, just at the films that were in theaters at the same time as The Last Starfighter, we find Barbarians, Puppets, Flying Dragons, Sentient Computers, and Happy, Happy Campers. Sure, The Karate Kid and Gremlins were still in the theaters at that time, but so were Top Secret, Bachelor Party. Conan the Destroyer, Cannonball Run 2, The Muppets Take Manhattan, Revenge of the Nerds, The Neverending Story, Electric Dreams, Purple Rain, and Meatballs 2. So did the last starfighter shoot his competition out of the sky? Not exactly. He came in 31st, behind Starman, 2010, Dune, and a couple dozen others. Still. 31st in a year like 1984 is nothing to be ashamed of. So I'm Doug, and this has been Also ran.
2: If you couldn't get your fill of The Last Starfighter and you were waiting around for the video game and really needed your fix, there were a couple of other Last Starfighter-related releases that you could pick up. Alan Dean Foster wrote a novelization of the film, and that same year, Marvel Comics released a three-issue miniseries. And FASA, who made some other great tabletop RPGs, created a gaming system for The Last Starfighter, one that I've kind of wanted to check out, one that seems worth checking out. In 2004, The Last Starfighter was adapted as an off-Broadway musical and played at the Storm Theater in New York City. And it it is a shame that Robert Preston wasn't around to be a part of that. Because I think a musical Centauri would be quite endearing. The Last Starfighter has a 25th anniversary Blu-ray. It's available on DVD. So if you want to watch The Last Starfighter, there are plenty of options. And it gets some decent rotation on some premium movie channels. If you are hoping that they will do a remake of The Last Starfighter. The idea was proposed, but didn't really go anywhere, and as of now, it is no longer in production, but is instead in a holding pattern. That is probably for the best. When The Last Starfighter came out, there were lots of rumors that video games were being used by the Pentagon to recruit kids for the military, or to train us at least. So the movie plot had some resonance for those of us who hung out at arcades and listened to rumors. It also came out when video games really seemed like magic. This was technology that was just finding its way into our homes and just becoming part of our culture. And the idea that the game itself was a portal, I guess much like the computer was a portal in Tron, was a concept that fueled many, many young kids' dreams, and I still think it has that potential. So if you know someone who hasn't seen The Last Starfighter, who wouldn't mind something that's a little not so serious, introduce them to The Last Starfighter. The actors are great, the premise is inspiring, and the early computer animation is truly memorable. I'm going to try something new this week I get a lot of emails from people who listen to the show Some criticism, some nice words I thought I would take this opportunity to answer a question that is asked to me in an email Maybe make a new viewer mail segment So this email comes from Eric T So Eric has a few nice comments, so thank you Eric He also asks which of the Star Trek series is my favorite. I am a fan of the original series. If I had to choose a captain to serve under, though, I would choose Picard. So if you have a question about anything related to retro or the show, you can email them to me at retroist at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at Retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at Facebook.com slash Retroist and Twitter.com slash Retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at Peachy at Retroist.com. Thanks to Vic Sage for another great Why Should I Know This Person? You can find Vic's work on the website on a regular basis. Thanks to Doug McCoy for another great Also Ran. Doug is always on the Retroist, but you can also find him at his own website, author doug mccoy.com thanks to rob flack o'hara for another great talking tech rob is a regular contributor to the retroist but you can also find his work off-site at his website robohara.com if you have a moment and you haven't done so already please drop by wherever you've downloaded the retroist podcast be it itunes or stitcher or zune and give the retroist review it seems to really help so i'd appreciate it if you could thanks for listening to the show and i hope you have a great weekend Up there up there, up
3: there, up there What is there to do or
2: see Up there, up there, up
3: there. What do we do?
2: We die. This has been a Retroist production. Goodbye.